Listening to The Switch. The Switch is a podcast about ideas and experiences that change our minds. I'm Chase Harris, joined as always by my co host, Alex Berner. In this episode, we speak with Jason Rabinowitz. Jason is a musician and co creator of The Pop Ups, a group that creates music for children. In this conversation, we talk about children's music, media, and art, what children are capable of, and misconceptions about children, and what it's like to create music for children. If you like what we do here on The Switch, the best way to support us is through Patreon. For as little as $1, you can become part of the community. Ask us questions, suggest topics, and directly communicate with us. You can also unlock bonus content, like extra questions we ask our guests. If you want more of The Switch, both on topic and off, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash switch underscore podcast. You can also support us by rating and reviewing on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to us. If you want to connect with us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at switch underscore podcast. And on Facebook, we are the switch podcast. So without further delay, we start with a quote from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. You see, my dear boy, I've decided to make you a present of the whole place. As soon as you're old enough to run it, the entire factory will become yours. Charlie stared at Mr. Wonka. Grandpa Joe opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. It's quite true, Mr. Wonka said, smiling broadly now. I really am giving it to you. That's all right, isn't it? Giving it to him? gasped Grandpa Joe. You must be joking. I'm not joking, sir. I am deadly serious. But, but, why should you want to give your factory to little Charlie? Listen, Mr. Wonka said, I'm an old man. I'm much older than you think. I can't go on forever. I've got no children of my own, no family at all. So who's going to run the factory when I get too old to do it myself? Someone's got to keep it going. If only for the sake of the Oompa Loompas. Mind you, there are thousands of clever men who would give anything for the chance to come in and take over from me, but I don't want that sort of person. I don't want a grown-up person at all. A grown-up won't listen to me. He won't learn. He will try to do things his own way and not mine. So I have to have a child. I want a good, sensible, loving child, one whom I can tell all my most precious candy-making secrets while I'm still alive. And with that, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so just to start off, I'd like to hear a little bit about you. First of all, have you ever been a child? Yes, I was for, uh, you know, until very recently, until <laughs> <laughs> possibly having children of my own. And then probably... Still a lot of residual child left. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so kind of starts at the beginning. Uh, what was your life like growing up? How'd you get into the field of children's music? Um, yeah. Um, two very different questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I grew up in New York City, in the Bronx, um, uh, which is which people think is is less than normal, but really it's just like growing up anywhere else, it's, you know, there's a few hundred thousand more people around 
that's about it. Otherwise, <laughs> from my experience, no matter where I go, people are people. And, you know, childhood tends to be childhood. I had good parents, so that's a great head start in life. Um, I got into children's music quite by accident. Um, I was, I wanted to be a musician like my whole life. And that's, that's, so I fell into that pretty early as a kid. And then, um, I was performing with a band after college and this woman came who happened to own an infant toddler music program. And she saw me perform and something about me struck her. She um, tapped me um, to work for her. She said, you have to work for me. You have to. And I wasn't necessarily into it, although at, at first, um, but she pestered me. She called every day for a week. True story. She really, she was like, I just know this is true. You have to come work for me. And, um, and I did. And the program was called Little Maestros. And um, I wound up. You know, basically, it was uh, it was a band that would perform for toddlers and infants, infants. Um, and there was a there was a class. It was an infant toddler music class, but with a band. So I would front this band. There were it, it, the the class was very successful. Um, you know, there there were it wasn't just me. They wound up to be I don't I would guess at least 50, 60 people working for this company in bands. Um, and then the company itself was bought and, um, I think they attempted to franchise it. Um, but I wound up writing for them and I just can, after, after years of playing to rooms of people with their arms crossed, beer in hand, you know, maybe nodding gently to play for, a uh, a room full of two-year-olds who just, their entire body, when they hear the music, they just go for it. It was so liberating um, that uh, something definitely, I, I definitely knew, like something struck. I was, it took years to completely go that direction, but uh, it was definitely a, It was a moment that I did not know I would have. That was a, that was a, I did not know I would enjoy performing for children quite so much. A switch, if you will. A switch. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Not to be too on, on the nose, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how'd you end up, um, what are you doing right now? I know you, you have a business partner, right? Yes. So, um, so Somewhere along that line, I uh, I found another guy who was also doing that. He was he had built out a different infant toddler music program for a different company. It was a, a nursery school slash Hebrew school in Lower Manhattan, and he hired me to do to be in a band for through a mutual friend for like a one man puppet show. And I saw this guy who who hired four musicians to be the band, the non-speaking band, while he was just this one-man puppet show. And I was like, this dude's a lunatic. Um, <laughs> let's let's hang out. And I don't know, again, I was just, something inside was like, it just, in my gut was like, 
we should hang out. So we did, we hung out and we had, uh, we like hung out for a whole spring break, like, like the April break. And we wrote, we were just like, what would it be like if we could write kids music that no one else had a say in? What if we could write kids music, like just however zany we wanted, however like edgy we wanted, kids music that we would want to hear. And we did, and we wrote like a song every day throughout the spring break. And um, they turned into our first album, which, you know, uh, we, when it was done, we, you know, passed out copies at a local kids music conference. And the guy who reviewed music for NPR, um, his name is Stefan Shepard. And he, carry, he carries a lot of weight in the independent children's music world. And he somehow got a hold of it and he he eventually called it like a kids music debut of the year and that was our sort of start and then now it's 10 years after that and this is our business together we're called the pop-ups and we're a band we've been nominated for two grammy awards and now we develop um television and we're, we're doing a audiobook for audible now we're yeah, we do theme songs. We have like a white label kind of kids media content creation business. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen, I, I love some of your uh, music videos on YouTube that is very, very interesting. You know, <laughs> some, some children's music I listen to and it's super dumbed down um, and not as interesting for adults. But we took a children's music class in college and one of the subjects that he talked about was that kids are capable of a lot more than most adults think they are. Um, they might even be capable of more than most adults in some ways, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, even like you said, the ability to be immersed in the music and, and not have all these cognitive restraints just holding them back from really enjoying it. Um, so that was one of the things I wanted to start off with. Uh, what do you think are some misconceptions about children that adults have? And wh what is the line between what they're capable of? It, are there things that we rightfully don't show them or don't tell them? And I, we don't have to get into, you know, like, um, you know, child psychology. Right. Sure. Yeah. I certainly can't claim expertise on this because i think humanity as a whole is will forever be figuring this out because truly mm -hmm. parenthood is like the last great field of the complete amateur nobody yeah. knows what they're doing yeah. categorically <laughs> because when you have a child there's nothing that can prepare you for that experience no matter how many books you read or anything. So, so everyone is an amateur who's a parent, and by the time they know what they're doing a little bit, it's already a totally different ball game. So, so it's you know, I think if we, in some respects, if we could answer that question definitively, mm -hmm. I mean, it could could have a, a profound impact on childhood. And in fact, um, one of the things you know, our our mayor in New York City here has done. Um, that I think will actually that that is research tested is they they have conclusively found the earlier you know children are socialized in schools 
the better they do in society, the better they, you know, the more they can empathize, um, the more they, the more social skills they have, which is, which, which allows them to thrive in a society of people, which is all about social yeah. skills, right? At, at the, the bottom of it. <clears throat> so, um, so, uh, um, I, as, as far as my own children, like I, I, t I love talking about politics with my kids and that's, <laughs> you're, you're probably not supposed to do that, but, um, I, I like trying to break it down for them because in break, like, like anything, if, you, if, if you've ever taught anything, uh, you know, by teaching something, you kind of, you break it down to its constituent parts and understand it better. Things that you've like, like music, I taught music like 10 years out of college for 10 years, just like going around giving piano lessons. I, I I learned so much about music just teaching it to like five and six and seven year olds, um, just because I had to go very slowly and you just absorb it at a different level. Um, so yeah, so like talking about government, like wow, this is fascinating. Turns out like America has well all throughout history there was like one family that would like control a whole society and no one could say anything and then are, you know, through trial and error, everyone's figured out that there could be checks and balances, words I've heard my whole life. And, and ha you know, but now I'm like, you don't understand, kid, checks and balances. Like, we got to take back the Senate, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and I don't know. I, I don't know how much they're absorbing. Uh, I guess this is a long-winded answer to say. I don't really know, but I, I enjoy, I believe that, unequivocally especially in terms of art kids take in art in a way that that hum that that grown people don't this is what i you know you were saying like uh, some things children can do better than grown-ups they categorically learn better than grown-ups they're they're absorbing things constantly in a way that our brains lack the plasticity to do and you know so they're and they're they're their, their whole uh, nervous systems are like way more attuned to things. I mean, I'm sure you both have this experience being children and, you know, uh, uh, a song maybe would give you like a feeling inside, <laughs> you know, like, like a cheesy song on the radio. You'd be like, ugh, something about that song just like gives me the ickies or like whatever it was. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. And I would also, I would just listen to the same song over and over and over again and always, and appreciate it just as much every single time. Um, and, and I think going back to one of the things you said, like they appreciate it and their, their minds are not um, closed to certain opportunities. I don't know if that's because everything's so new to them that it's, they don't really discriminate like this is a wrong new and this is a right new. Um, but yeah, so what do you guys, um, do differently, um, as, as a, as a band, as a production, um, what are some things that you messages or lessons you try to give to kids? Uh, well, um, so that's, again, that's a big question. I would say like at the root of it, we're just following our gut instincts um which which i understand may not be a satisfying answer but um but i uh, i found i mean 
I see you guys have a partnership. There's something in a partnership where you understand, you, you both kind of share an understanding that might be explicit or implicit. Um, and we have an understanding about what children are capable of and what, what is inappropriate, obviously. And we, and we, we're always trying to nourish children. I'm absolutely, I love the idea of like providing something. That was another, that was a, that was a, a founding principle. I think we both shared, like we wanted like plenty of music you just listen to and that's it. I would love for our music to have some kind of utility. And we've actually stayed pretty true to that. Each album we make as some kind of theme or like a, we did one, for example, that was each um, song corresponded to like a craft project or a creative, um, you know, endeavor that you could do. One was about collage. One was about, you know, uh, costume parties or whatever another album was all themed around imaginative play and each song had an imaginative play game you could do uh we just did an album called giants of science um which is each song kind of correspond it's it, that was a little less thematic in like it's one-to-one kind of thing but uh but it you know it was celebrating scientists and scientific concepts in each different song that was sort of where we started with it. But yeah, so so I like the idea of like, not only are you listening to this song, but it's about shapes. That's another thing that attracted me to kids' music. It's 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 utility, it's it's concrete. Um, you can write, you can sit down to write a song about shapes and those limitations allow your creativity like a framework to, yeah. to, 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 to grow on rather than sitting down to write a song, which yeah. could be about anything yeah there's this idea i think i heard i first heard about it from philip glass the composer uh uh, what did he call it constrained creativity where adding constraints can actually heighten creativity but um i wanted to maybe rephrase a question based on something you had said when you were talking about when you first met your business partner uh you said that you sat down to write kids music that we would want to hear and I, I think that's, I'm curious what the distinction there is. Like, what what was the difference between sitting down and writing kids music that you would want to hear and kids music that either you were writing before or you were hearing from other places? What, where do you, can you maybe elaborate on, on that? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, concrete. When writing for, say, an infant-toddler music program that I am not in charge of, there's an executive producer who's like, eh, I don't know about this song. Can you make it a little shinier or a little simpler? Like, you know, there's there's an executive producer level. You're serving their vision as a creative employed gotcha. by their company. Without that constraint, it was just your own sense of joy or, you know, musical satisfaction. And... Um, there was there were no limits. We 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 looked at our. I remember several times during the writing of that thing, like, can we do this? Is this okay? <laughs> and it was. It, now we don't ask anymore. We just know we can do anything. Children's yeah. music is music. That's all there is to it. If you know how to speak to children, maybe they'll listen to it and be interested in it. Otherwise, the gloves are off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and, I, and, I think and they, they can hang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they love it. Kid, plenty of kids just like bop around listening to like, you know, last Friday night or whatever. <laughs> Eight-year-olds, <laughs> six-year-olds, like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely interpreted lyrics, you know, in a totally different way when I was young that was adult music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I think that's interesting when you mentioned it was, it's really an intuitive thing for you guys, you know? There's, it's not so much like, let's philosophically figure out what kids need to know and how we're going to approach it. And we did an episode on intuition and how these are, they're usually right. You know, obviously some of our intuitions are off, but in general, they give us a good guideline. And it seems like there's such strong human intuitions when it comes to parenting or interactions with children. You know, somebody who's never interacted with a child before might go up and do something that they've never done, you know? Um, so I think that's a, just an interesting... But yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, intuition is, is part of art, that's mm-hmm. for sure. And, like, trusting your intuition artistically is, like, probably the most powerful thing you can do. I will say parenting is one place where your intuition, it's like a North Pole and a compass. Like, mm-hmm. it's way too close. Mm-hmm. Your intuition gets very confused with all kinds of other feelings and needs you might have around this relationship uh, or, or self-imposed, you know, whatever it is. That's parenthood is, is another, is a very, you know, it's a Bermuda triangle, <laughs> uh, but there is, there is a lot of clarity there too, where you can, Oh no, this is, yeah, this is correct. But I mean, uh, that breeds individuals. Yeah. I think you can probably also see some sort of more base, instinctual, maybe intuitive reactions from the audience perspective with children as well. Like you were talking about how children just, they they know how to listen to music. They start moving, they start dancing, and it's not like anybody taught them what to do. They just start doing it. Yeah, it's it's crazy when you see a 10-month-old baby hear the music and just start rocking. It's like, how? <laughs> yeah. that's, that is innate. So I once heard that there's two things um, humans do innately, which is song and dance. Humans mm. innately sing and they innately dance. I don't, we don't know why or how, but that's, that is true. It's kind of, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. That's something most people lose too. You know, I mean, right. It's easy to, to talk yourself out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What what sort of feedback have you gotten since writing children's music that's this much more uninhibited, less corporate style? Like, do you get a lot of skepticism either from parents or labels or anything like that? Well, um, in the 10 years we've been doing this, I've seen a shift in, I mean, uh, so 10 years ago, it wasn't a novel idea maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was a novel idea like, hey, what about kids' music that's actually good? 10 years ago, that was less of a story, but still fairly novel. Nowadays, I've watched, I've watched in the last 10 years, um, it, it's just a given. You know, 10 years ago, none of my cohort were getting nominated for Grammys. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the night, 
the night, the first night we were nominated, I remember my wife saying, the Grammys are giving, like they're giving out the nominations tonight. And I literally said to her, that has nothing to do with my life. That's <laughs> what I said. <laughs> and she looked and, and we were there and I, I like almost fainted. But um, yeah, but but now it's like like the last three years, it's all independent children's music musicians pursuing their highest musical realities. It's kind of incredible. Yeah. So so I think at this point, there is not a lot of pushback. Society's really down with it. Um, because people my age are parents. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so I, I'm 40. Um, but you know, it's, I, I still consider myself a young person on some level, although yeah. you know, that's getting harder to do every day <laughs> as the days tick on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I would say no, uh, that is, that has changed a lot for the better. And, 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 uh, all, all, most kids musicians now, I think are just giving it their total all there. There's mm -hmm. nothing. Not, not that they weren't before, but I, I, I think there's uh, less editing, self-editing or yeah. around it. Yeah, the content. Um, so you, your business partner does puppets too. Um, we wanted to go into the idea of like multi-sensory learning and uh, how, how do different forms of art combine to interact with kids a different way? You know, what, what more do they get from the the videos or the puppets or all of that um just how do you feel like that interacts with your art well i mean the more i, I would say this is another intuitive thing that i certainly can't claim expertise on but the more but but the there is i don't want to say a lack of attention span but you 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 come to learn as I guess a kids performer, how to grab an audience of kids and keep them. And the more, you know, multimedia you can do, the more visual and auditory, the more you can combine things. Um, both Jacob and I do puppets and, um, it's a, we originally started doing puppets because we couldn't afford a band. So we're like, well, we're not just going to stand up there, singing to tracks. I mean, we have to produce this a little more. We have to make it a little more interesting for the audience. And we, we wound up discovering narrative. Narrative is also super important for kids. You could sit and tell them, you know, light uh, in a vacuum will never, you know, stop until it runs into something. It, it doesn't mean anything, but if you could say there was this, there was this, you know, being named Photon, and he would, you know, careen through the universe. Narrative helps mm -hmm. frame educational concepts. Uh, gifted teachers, any any really like, you know, uh, educational program with a lot of utility, you can use narrative to like great effect. And puppets play into that, and visuals play into that, and yeah, yeah I think, yeah, more I think fun. You can definitely, and I and you're point about narrative i think is one that is forgotten a lot too as as just it, it's such a reinforces things like you remember stories you know but if you're just given a bunch of data and dates and information unless you're already super interested in it 
you're probably not going to remember it and you're not going to understand why why you should be you know interested in it too um and even for adults it seems like visual oral tactile all different forms of um, presentation and understanding it certain things fill in the gaps and just paint a more complete picture so even for adults I, I think that's for me, I've noticed that's a huge difference. Yeah. Well, p- people have the, they've identified these different like ways that people learn. Yeah. The musical, logical, the spatial, the, you know, so, so the more of those you can hit, the more parts of yourself and the more parts of your, you know, say audience that you're trying to reach, you will reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of want to come back to a, a point that we started to make in the beginning and, uh, again, maybe reframe another question. It seems like the way that we're talking about art for children, like they, it's implicit in what we're talking about that we have a high opinion of what children are capable of. And I know at the beginning we even said explicitly children are capable of a lot, but I think you can tell from just the way that we're treating the topic that that we have this this idea that children are capable of understanding a lot and are capable of learning. I guess maybe more as a, a parent, but a, as well as as a musician for children, where do you think the misconceptions come from about children not being that capable? Like, do you actually, do you see where somebody might get that impression? That's or? a good question. Um, having children of my own, I, I do. Yes. Because they aren't, you know, they aren't adults. They yeah. don't have a sophisticated understanding about certain conceptual things. But emotionally, I think a lot of them are, a lot of them. I mean, obviously everyone's an individual. Emotionally and intuitively, I think children kind of have it up on adults in some ways. And in some ways, they're really immature. They don't know how to communicate their around their emotions. That's the double-edged sort of like maturity. You learn how to control your feelings, which is both good and necessary to function in a world. But, you know, say within my family, a lot of the work we're doing is both you know, as parents and as children is learning how to communicate with each other around feelings that might feel overwhelming um, without, uh, you know, squashing the feelings or their validity, their importance. So um, I I think the, you know, they're boundless in energy. They aren't sophisticated in some ways and in some ways they are so but yeah so but but around say media i think that was uh i think honestly if i really drill down it's probably from you know the the harsh realities of several generations ago and like just the the needs of children being less immediate than the needs of say the family to just survive mm-hmm. And then, you know, and the children to just be out of the way, safe, and maybe entertained or whatever. Um, and now we have this luxury where, we're, you know, as Americans in 2018, we, we're pretty high up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we're looking at, you know, finessing 
childhood in a way to make a more uh, positive, productive society, or at least some of us are. So, so I, I, I would guess that that's probably its, its genesis is like something historical. Mm-hmm. And, th- and we're really only like, I mean, World War II is, is, is just like, it's my grandfather's generation and they were, the resources were scarce still, you know, and, and children's needs weren't necessarily paramount. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, maybe that's has I, something to do with it. Yeah. And I wonder if it's uh, kind of maintained by, you know, trying to sell stuff to kids, you know, Oh, just give them this simple toy and they'll be happy. Just, Oh, just nice, nicely package this music and, sell it to kids and we'll make a bunch of money or tell the parents you'll be, they'll be satisfied. Just keep them busy. I mean, there is, there are times you need your kids to be out of the way, (laughs) you know, or, or just are safe and out of the way. And, and hopefully, you know, being nourished by something, being Mm -hmm. educated, but yeah, I mean, yeah, selling selling things to kids is that's like a whole other thing. I think my generation got that really hard. Like the eighties were, what I were really like you know cartoons were cross branded with all this stuff. There weren't I don't know about there's a COPA rules and regulations mm-hmm. about like advertising to kids, and that was um, you know the 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 mouthpiece of pop culture was smaller. There were six channels, five channels that you were getting all of this media from. There wasn't a billion different screens and different mm-hmm. things. So, um, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you take that? Um, how do you market to children ethically and um, like without taking advantage of them or their parents? That is not something I do. I don't mm-hmm. consider that. I, I try and I try and think about what they would enjoy. Um, and I am not a marketing expert that mm. I, I really couldn't speak to. Okay, because that's a delicate issue, truly. Right. Um, and there and there are a lot of laws around it. It's uh, you know that's it's interesting. Like in kids media, I've found there is a there's a, a glass not a glass ceiling but like a ceiling. Because there's the advertising money, which which monetizes so much other content, is really limited in kids' media. You can't market just anything to them, and uh, there's very stringent laws around it. Um, why do you, you think kids like to listen to the same things over and over again? It's same thing with me as a kid. For video, I would I probably watched the Three Musketeers actually a hundred times like it's must have been at least twice a week and it never got old i don't know if i was just comfortable with the familiarity of it it was just i could continually appreciate the same thing um yeah what do you what do you see about with that with kids i think kids thrive on routine and structure and like knowing what's coming next is really helpful it makes it makes you feel safe. I think makes them feel safe. Um, that's from from everything I've read. Like routine really helps children feel safe. So there mm-hmm. there might be something to that. Just yeah. I used to do the same thing. 
I had, uh, you know, like I would record the Simpsons on VHS and watch the same like six episodes, uh-huh. you know, just add, I could, my knowledge of the first 10 seasons of the Simpsons is <laughs> ridiculous. Like start anywhere in any episode and I will continue <laughs> the dialogue. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And movies as well. So yeah, there's probably something to that, the, the safety and just, just understanding what's happening next. Having kids of your own in this era, um, do you see any change in that now that there's just such a huge amount of media that's more available? Like, like for example, when I was at Christmas, if I got a DVD, I'm like, perfect. This is like 100 hours of an ed- entertainment right here on this one video. But do they go from one thing to the next with um, you know, having tablets or TV? Or, yeah. Yeah, my kids don't have tablets. We do some TV they um <clears throat> they no there's an obsessive quality to 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 a lot of children i find okay. they just they geek out they love they get involved in a world and they want to be in that world as mm-hmm. much as possible and they want to talk about it at dinner time and you know and uh, <laughs> uh so but but you know that said i do think there there is like just a ridiculous glut of <laughs> of content available at any second for them all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I find most, you know, a lot of parents limit, limit, you know, half uh, all parents had to limit the intake, but, uh, but nowadays I, I think that's, that's just as true as it ever was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anybody who wants to get into children's music? Um, yeah, I would my 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 advice would just be to do what what feels right for you. What you know, make the music you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, if that if that even you know, I I don't know. Uh, What's it like having children as fans? <laughs> it's funny. Because, you know, I've, if I met, say, Paul McCartney, I'd freak out. I'd yeah. be shy and tongue-tied and freaked out. You meet a kid who's a fan and they, they you know, might be shy and tongue-tied and freaked out and, like, even afraid to give you a high five. And their parents are like, I'm so sorry. He's, you know, he, he's just totally freaking out. Because <laughs> you're standing here, or whatever, and, and you you just you 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 know it, it really is an interesting perspective on that on mm. fame mm. or or you know because you're like kid, please like no, I'm I'm <laughs> just a person like really this is so not special. I'm yeah like if only I could somehow tell you <laughs> how unremarkable it is to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know yeah uh but but that's that reflects interesting interestingly on your own experience of like say fame and meeting famous people mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's a good perspective yeah um, yeah it's awesome most kids most kids are don't freak out and even if they do that's the great thing about kids is you can you can hold up your hand for a high five and if they're too shy to do it you're like you know a high five becomes tickle fingers if you don't <laughs> high five it and it's just kids just want to play mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
It'd be yeah. totally different if Paul McCartney said that to you. <laughs> I would, I would just, I would, I would lose. I would turn to Jello. <laughs> you, know, you know, a high five becomes tickle finger. <laughs> you know, Chase. High five becomes tickle fingers. <laughs> I'd fall on my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned you felt like children's music is going in a direction that's more free and not necessarily experimental, but more open to different possibilities. Um, where do you see it going in the future? Do you think there's any changes that need to happen? Um, what, what trends do you see? Well, this gets into the business side of things. I think um, kids' music is really decentralized, it turns out. Um, because, I mean, if I had to diagnose it, I would say it's it might have something to do with the ad situation and the, the revenue therein. You know, when you, when you, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a second. Um, there's a lot of neighborhoods all around America and the world that have like their guitar guy who does, you know, sing-alongs in the coffee shop and young parents bring their kids there and they, they love them and they buy the CDs. And, but there's no, you know, there's a there's a radio station and on Sirius XM that I would say is probably one of the big uh, um, centralization you know focal points of kids music independent kids music in America. Um, uh, it's called Kids Place Live. It's channel seventy eight, and that's a national audience. Otherwise, there's very local market like very local market shares and they're not, you know, television is, is another centralization point. Um, but that also is fragmented into a, a gazillion different pieces. And um, yeah, I mean, with, so it's symptomatic, I guess, of media in general, but the children's media landscape is very local. And not and not um, general. So I would say it, it might it would be interesting to see. Uh, and no one, uh, we've been trying to crack that for ten years. Like how? What is the? What is the main? Like how do you become a household name in this space? It's really, uh, you know, through television. I think um, perhaps. Yeah, I my intuition would be like also film just the the kind of trends or waves that happen um among kids. That I remember even when I was growing up the that was the one of the things you had in common. You know, they might not listen to the same music that I did as a kid, but we saw the same movies. And if there was a song in that movie, everybody would know that. Uh any funny jokes, everybody would have that in common. Um what was your favorite children's music, either growing up or now? Who else do you respect? Well, I mean, there's a there's a lot. I have a lot of peers who I truly, truly respect. Um, Secret Agent Twenty Three Skidoo. None of these people you might know of, but they're fantastic. Um, he actually won a Grammy last year for for he's a he's a hip hop artist and he's brilliant. And I'd been following his career since before he had even became a kids musician, and he's actually on our new record justin roberts 
uh, is is like a brilliant songwriter. There there are just no, I mean, there's no end to. I could go, I could keep rattling off names uh, of my friends when I and and people I immensely respect. When I was a kid, uh, I listened to probably "Free to Be You and Me," but but again, my parents played us, you know, Paul Simon or. Mm-hmm. They they listen to a lot of like seventies folk rock, so I have like a real um, yacht rock soft spot <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> Stevie Wonder, uh, who's not yacht rock, but yeah. Do you think all those things you listened to growing up, uh, growing up, really affected your musical style? I mean, I can't imagine the answer is no, but <laughs> yeah. And most parents, they they get into music or they want their kids to listen to music that they also can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, my my daughter went through a period of time where she was absolutely gobsmacked, obsessed with one of our friends' bands. They're called the Nodits. They're from Seattle. They're fantastic. Um, uh, Recess Monkey is another Seattle band. It's just utterly fantastic. Um, and uh, they... I actually experienced vicariously through her. We, we, I would take them to the concerts. Now these are just our buddies known them for a long time. And she would freak out, clam up too shy to shake hands and you know, like that health. And I would geek out. I would be like, Oh my God, the not, it's the not, it's coming to town. Like we still kind of get excited about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. so, yeah. It's, it is cool. It's really cool. There's a lot of people doing uh, really great stuff in kids' music these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to me like children's media in general, um, throughout what we've been talking about, has you know has multiple functions, right? It's it's art, so it's exploratory, right? It's it's finding new things, exploring new avenues that you've never thought of before, but it also can be a safe place where you know once you've learned it it's it's something that you can come back to and rely on and when you listen to a song it's always the same recording you know it's like you said it's a it's a safe place um and i think i still i definitely utilized music and art for both of those as a kid and i think i do the same thing now you know when you're in a bad place you, you know, at least for me, I'll go back to songs or art that I'm familiar with. And it, it brings out those emotions like it does in kids. You know, it, it might not be as extreme, um, but it helps bring back to that. So I, I wonder if if there was a more consistent emphasis on it, like there is as a child, but continually going through school where, you know, music and art wasn't just this class you had to take, but it was through your own design and your own energy that you explored it. Um, I I wonder what outcome that would have on us emotionally and how we can express ourselves in effective ways. I think self-expression is a fundamental way for people who may not have the vocabulary or even the the wherewithal to to relate to society and to be valuable to society. It's interesting. I was, um, we were, we were, I just saw a program last weekend about, Oh God, I wish I could remember what it's called. It's a, it's a, 
it's a, it's a nonprofit in San Francisco, um, which takes um, disabled people, whether they be mentally disabled, handicapped or, or visually impaired or whatever, and they do art. And they really, it's a real conservatory. And they have found amazing ways to have these people who don't, who may not, who maybe society says, oh, there's no value for them, to, to have a real value um, and have their, their worlds, their, their, their thoughts, their feelings, their, their, their understanding of the world communicated in a beautiful, valuable, fascinating way. I mean, there's, there was this one story of this woman who was institutionalized at maybe four years old, orphaned. She spent 50 years living in an institution and nobody knew she was deaf. And they, they got her to this place and she started making these uh, yarn sculptures with objects hidden inside them. And she became a world famous artist. These sculptures sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're exhibited internationally. And this woman, who was completely marginalized, found this immense value. And she still goes to this place in Berkeley or wherever it is, maybe it's in Oakland. And there's they they really they cultivate. Um, God, I need to find you guys should do this. Uh, or when we when we're done with this interview, we we should we should tell people where they can donate to this place because this uh was so earnest and so so wonderful. I thought this this institution, uh, it's which is you know basically shoestringing it, cobbling it together. What they do for 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 some of these people. So anyway, I I, I agree, Alex. Um, you know, if we used cre creative expression, is a really wonderful thing to nurture in kids. I think I think there's more emphasis, more. Um, uh, sincerity on the part of educators these days. Not that maybe there wasn't as much when we were kids, but um, but I'm finding in my own kids' schooling, there's a lot of uh, creative expression, um, uh, sin sincerity around developing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll make sure uh, when we figure out what that is, we'll put a link in the show notes so that everybody can Go check it out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really moved by this. Um, yeah, Chase or Jason, did you have anything else you wanted to add or any topics you feel like we didn't cover? Around kids, kids' media, kids' music. I'm good. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, Chase, uh, do you want to lead us into the next section? It's your sure. uh, wheelhouse. <laughs> so you, you have been uh, fairly warned, Jason, although... Uh, maybe not in time. <laughs> the next the next segment is a segment we like to call the off topic. And it is uh, anything that you want to talk about, we'll spend five or ten minutes on it, whether it's a philosophical idea, maybe a movie you liked or a book or a charity or a, something someone said to you uh, walking on the street of, of New York. Um, so, Jason, what do you have for us? Well, I mean, at the risk of being a downer, I would, I would talk about if if I have you know a moment to to speak my mind. I'm I have to talk about how appalled I am at these migrant detention centers for children. Mm. 
which is not completely off topic, but um, it's, I, I think, <sighs> I mean, maybe, maybe this is just a long, you said rant and I was like, oh yeah, I could rant about that. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's doing irreparable harm to our country, to our standing in the world. To none, none the least to these families, to these individuals that are, uh, there was a, I, I heard, I read a story or heard it on Vice News about, about uh, the federal government is supposed to provide education to these children. And um, yet the federal government says the local government is supposed to provide the funds and the local government is refusing and there's children in Texas that have been stolen by our government that are not getting educated. And I, and I think the, the harm you can do, children need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. They need to, and, and that, that bond the, the, with family is one of the most powerful ways to destroy a life is, is to mess with that bond at, at such a formative stage. I don't know what to do about it or what to say about it. I do have a, I was, we were part of an album called Hold Tight, Shine Bright, where a bunch of my colleagues uh, each contributed a song and it all goes to this legal defense fund of these people trying to get their children back. Mm. Um, So we can link to that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm personally not that well informed about this issue, unfortunately. Oh man, so, I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely going to be something that I go and check out because that it sounds just abhorrent. But you haven't heard about the the the, the Trump policy to separate children well, no, from I, people. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't live under a rock, of course, but I I haven't I haven't spent time with the issue at all. It's um, hard but, to spend time with. It's yeah. so frustrating and and nauseating. But but yeah. Yeah, um, uh, it, it is. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to stay abreast of because you you your ears burn and you you feel pretty helpless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there are things people can do, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that that's a like the most vulnerable period of people's lives. So any departure from a, a normal like normalcy, I'm sure is a. Even yeah. even a slight one. Well, I mean, you know, people come here because our. I mean, well, if we want to get into the bigger idea, America is a place where everyone, every single one of us, comes from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like that's the point, right? So to now all of a sudden say, actually, we're we're changing all of that. I, I don't I don't know how much you're. The switch is a, is an overtly political or partisan situation, but I feel like this transcends a, a partisan idea, and I, which is why I feel like ninety percent. I think the polling shows of the country is just not down with this idea of separating kids uh, from their families, and which is why they ultimately had to reverse it. But they're still trying to dig their way out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, might as well. If we're going off topic, let's let's bring a yeah. little more awareness yeah. to that definitely yeah yeah i think i i've always sort of said on the issue of immigration in general that like i i firmly believe that part of the mission of 
our country really is to bring together people from different places and to, we have, on the one hand, we have a duty to accept migrants of, in some form or another. Um, but I mean, I, I also do think that, you know, we can't open the floodgates. I, I'm not a proponent of open borders. I think that there's a middle ground to be had, but the separating families from children or separating children from their families doesn't seem like it fits anywhere inside of that at, at any, at any place. We're pretty far from open borders, even yeah. like, like we're nowhere near open borders. I don't yeah, think no, anyone is, is, uh, is proposing that. Um, but people are bringing their children here to contribute, to have a better life. I mean, DACA, I, I feel like it's, it's a real sickness this this country is is in at the moment around around this concept yeah i mean i think the the one of the big things that's led us to be so successful of a country is bringing together such a variety of skill sets and cultures and just the the blending of them and kind of the the selection of the best ideas and you know, everything, you know, it's, it's like the marketplace of ideas, you know, people bring in new stuff. If it makes sense, if it's a great thing, more people adopt it. If not, gets kind of shut out over time. Um, um, I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, and, 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 and even more so like things that are quintessentially American that actually define American culture, say like jazz, for example, this is a place where four or five different cultures combined to make something completely unique and unprecedented mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and completely American. Yeah. So yeah. like it's, it is, it is literally the combining of all these cultures that can make that, that make America what it is that make American culture in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah. and I think whenever there's been a big influx of immigration, there's been a reaction, Right. You know, whether it was Irish or Italians or any group of people has had, I think there's been this period where, you know, they felt like they're not sending their best, right? <laughs> you know, that <laughs> the, the, people there's already, that attitude. Yeah, go ahead, Chase. I think, I think what he's saying is that anytime there's been an influx of migrants of any from anywhere, there's been this initial reaction of they're not sending their best. Uh, and it, it's it's a part of the not that it's an acceptable part, but it seems to be part of the pattern of that you know us getting that kind of influx. Yeah, I, I think that the, this administration is even limiting the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's the it's it's so far in the other direction. They're not even letting you know PhD candidates and you know because there's this weird nativist protectionist mm-hmm. selfishness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Jason. Um, yeah. Thanks for going, going there with me guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just for the record, like we, as a, as a podcast, you know, we have no, um, we have no problem with getting political. Like uh, Alex and I have political ideas. We have different political ideas sometimes similar, sometimes different than our guests. Uh, at its core, I think this is supposed to be a platform for ideas. A free exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, 
Wait, Which is, I, again, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, that seems to be another thing that's kind of eroding these days, mm. the free exchange of ideas uh, around just figuring out what's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for bringing up something political fearlessly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would also say, though, there's a um, kind of a sub, sub, I don't know what to say, like a subgroup of people that are doing the opposite, you know, have become more involved in exchange of ideas and, and learning and philosophy and, um, you know, making a difference. And, and I think there is a pretty strong reaction to the, um, I don't know what you'd call, what you'd call it. Hyperpartisanship. Yeah. That and apathy and, um, kind of like, a, more of a, a growth mindset, right? Where we can talk about this stuff and get better. We're not just stuck. These aren't necessarily, we don't necessarily have all the right ideas. We can learn from people by talking to people. And, you know, as humans, we have the ability to gain knowledge and gather knowledge and judge knowledge and progress. And I, th I think there's a, a pretty thriving community of people who are doing just that. And, you know, I think are in the younger, younger ages, you know, below 50. So hope. I, that's, yeah. that yeah. is the best thing I've heard all day, truly, because that's, <laughs> that's what the, the world needs is, is smart people talking together and working together, regardless of, 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 um, of what they discover is, is the process of, of discovery and, and having an open mind. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Jason, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure, guys. I, I'm glad to have gone into this topic because it's um, something I don't think most people give much mind to. You know, the, there's some of the podcasts we've done are, you know, on uh, politics or uh, meditations, kind of a, a more prominent idea in society. But this is something that can be so um, fundamental to who a who a person is growing up. I know my music and media consumption really formed that's that's where I where why I am where I am now. Um and if I had exposure to different stuff, better or worse, I'm sure I'd be in a different place. Um so I guess my takeaway would be just think about it, you know? Yeah, no, to bring it back around, I would say that's uh that is uh that is the 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 sort of latent power of of being a kid's musician i guess is if you reach somebody you reach them in a way you can't you can't duplicate mm -hmm. later in life or maybe you can but it's a different on a different level so cool so jason if people you know like what you have to say or want to hear your music or want to follow up with you where can they find you and the pop-ups and all of that well uh the popups.com not nice. www, just thepopups, one word, dot com. Um, that's sort of our aggregate place, or find us at, at the popups at any socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks again. That, that was excellent. Yeah, thank you, guys. The Switch is produced by Mojo Filter Media. 
a company specializing in audio production for video games and interactive media. You can check out our website at www.mojofilter.media. Thank you.